I make this morning no apologies for spending so much time in this most glorious psalm for its truth really in all reality has no end. The subject is our worshiping of God which shall take eternity. An action that we will do never being weary or tired of. It's amazing when one spends time thinking about that. Psalm 100, verse 5. The whole essence and substance of everything this psalmist has said in the previous verses. This is why the servant is glad. This is his song as he comes into the presence of the Lord. This is the source of his thanksgiving and his praise. It is the reason for his being thankful unto God and blessing his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. We have some amazing truths in this 100th Psalm, and yet before I begin, I wish to impart something unto you that I pray would be an encouragement to you, something that I have over the course of 40 years as a pastor and Christian have come to learn, and one which I hope and pray would inspire you to think and seriously meditate upon. And that's concerning the truths found in God's Word. For what many profess to know about the truths of God are merely echoes of another man's opinions or convictions of God in Scripture. And though many of these men were reformers, Puritans, whoever they might be, though many of these men were and are presently used by God and their wisdom and knowledge of God's Word in many ways, inspiring and encouraging, they were, they are, Just that, merely men. This comes from a pastor who has a pretty big-sized library and has read many books over the years. And they have inspired me and they have encouraged me. Yet I wish to encourage you this morning and exhort you this morning as your brother and as your pastor Desire nothing short of divine illumination and inspiration from the Holy Spirit concerning God's Word. Their light, like that of the moon, 
is merely a reflection of the true light, namely the sun. The moon has no light of itself, it's merely a reflection. And so are such great men of God. They're merely a reflection. One can look into the light of the moon all night and even enjoy the dim light that sheds upon the earth when the sky is clear and the moon is full. Yet, its light only dimly compares to the light of the sun. Gaze directly into the light of the sun and you shall quickly be blinded by its radiance and brightness. Or as I observed yesterday morning in the chilly morning dawn as the sun began to rise and I looked up into the heavens and I seen a star so bright and yet that star's light must give way to the rising of the sun. It slowly faded away. I'm saying all this that you might consider that when you do read other books, as good as they might be of men, they're mere reflections. Never settle for anything less than to have the Word of God speak to your heart directly inspiring you and illuminating your heart and your minds to the things of Christ. Beloved, never settle for anything less than that. Never settle for walking in the shadows of men regardless of how great and how mighty God used them. Everything they knew about God or know about God is merely a reflection of the truth of God. It's not truth itself. They are nothing but a dim reflection of the true light of divine inspiration. Remember when Pilate was, be, was before the Lord? And Pilate said something about the Lord, and the Lord said these words, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did another tell it thee of me? Are you saying what you've come to know or what somebody else has told thee of me? That's a good way to examine our hearts. Our knowledge of God, is it basically what others have told us of Christ or is it from Christ? Big difference. The Queen of Sheba Heard a lot of things about Solomon. But when she finally seen it herself, she said, the half has not been told. Everything somebody told me about thee doesn't match up to what I really see. And I wish to encourage you this morning as your pastor and friend and brother Never settle for anything less than divine illumination from God's Word. Read other men that are godly men. That's okay. Let them inspire you and let them encourage you, but let their light fade away in the light of the Word of God. 
Let the word of God speak directly to you. That is the greatest blessing a child of God can ever have. To walk in another man's light and shadow doesn't bring half of what the truth can do when it speaks to us in our hearts by ourselves. The entrance of thy words, said the psalmist. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. I say that all in light of our text because over the weeks of studying this Psalm 100, like I've said before, I've come to understand much of what I knew or professed to know about worshiping God was merely what other men have told me. By meditating upon this glorious 100th, I've come to realize that I want to do, I desire to worship God according to spirit and truth, not after the methods of men or the opinions and convictions of man, but what God's Word commands us and exhorts us to. So, with that said, let us continue our study in this most glorious Psalm 100. My intention was to really look at another part of this verse 5. And yet in my studies, the Lord led me off into a direction that I was not aware of. And yet I'm so thankful He did, though. And I wish to share that with you this morning about this last and final verse of Psalm 100. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth to all generations. In this one verse, we find what makes the servant of God glad. It is that which compels him, according to verse 2, to come into God's presence, not with fear or terror, and that amazes me. An invitation to come into the presence of the Almighty God with singing. How can he do that? For the Lord he knows is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. He's personally acquainted with that. So his heart is made glad. He didn't hear it from somebody else. He's experienced this himself. He knows himself God is good. Do you know God is good this morning? Have you experienced His mercy, which is everlasting? And do you know the blessedness of His truth, which endureth to every generation? Herein is the boldness by which He enters again into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Again, we're invited to enter in to an intimate, personal relationship with God. And that entrance is driven by the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth all generations. If you know anything about Scripture and how, God, how Scripture is de- defines who God is and the majesty and excellency and glory of God, Creator of heavens and earth, simply the idea that we can enter into His presence in such 
singing and gladness and thankfulness and praise immediately should fill our hearts with wonder. If we know anything about God's majesty and our own infirmities and weaknesses, and yet the psalmist invites us into the presence of the Almighty God. Yet not with terror and fear and torment, but with singing and gladness and thanksgiving and praise and thankfulness. Why? For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endureth unto all generations. The entrance, beloved, into these divine gates of thanksgiving and into these courts of praise, though many, like the gate that is straight and the way that is narrow, may seek to enter in, yet are not able to. At this very moment around the world, there are countless people sitting amongst God's people, tares with the weeds, sheeps with the goats, foolish virgins with the wise virgins, who are attempting to enter into these gates and into these courts, yet like the straight and narrow way, they're not able to. For only those, and this is what I like about this psalm, for only those who truly know that the Lord, He is God, it is He that had made us and not we ourselves. Those who by God's grace have been made His people by divine covenant, we are His people. And the sheep of His pasture by divine redemption who alone have access into these gates. I want you to think about that for a moment. Just think about that for a moment. If you're truly a child of God and you know something of what the psalmist is speaking about, if you know, actually, intimately, truly know the salvation, the grace of God in Christ Jesus and what He has offered, what He has given us, what He's obtained for us, who God is and what Christ is and who we are and what we were, if you'd even take a minute thinking and contemplating on that, I'm telling you, your hearts would be filled with such praise and adoration to God like most is you'd fall on your face to the earth and you'd worship God. For He is good. His mercy is everlasting. And His truth endureth to all generations. He's in an amazing, in captivity, the Israelites were exhorted by their captives. Sing us a song, they said. Sing us the song of Zion, they said. The songs that you guys sing, they knew them by their song, by their worship. Isn't that amazing? Sing us, sing us your song of Zion. You know why they said sing us your song? They knew not how to sing it themselves. We know nothing of this song. We cannot sing it. Let us hear your song of Zion. The world knows nothing of what Christians are doing this very day, this very moment around the world in every worship service. Nobody knows except a Christian what we're doing. They cannot sing our songs. If you're here this morning with Christ, you cannot sing the songs, though you said the words in the hymns and in the psalms. They mean nothing to you because you're not His people and the sheep of His pasture. 
You know nothing of his goodness and of his mercy and of his truth. And in many ways that breaks my heart. For I wish, like Paul when he stood before the assembly, I wish that all men were like unto me, he said, yet without these bonds. I wish that all men knew God like I knew. No, God. I wish that all men knew and experienced the goodness and mercy of God and the truth of God that sets you free from yourself and sin and Satan. For the people of God and the sheep of his pasture, it's like the psalmist said in Psalm 43, he hath put a new song. He hath put a new song in our mouth. A new song. Even praise unto our God, he says. Listen to what he says in light of what the Babylonians asked the Jewish, the Israel. Many shall see it. It doesn't say many shall hear it. Isn't that amazing? Many shall see it. And fear and shall trust in the Lord. So you see, our worship should have a great effect upon those around us who know not Christ. And let me tell you something in just a brief moment. There are countless people sitting at home today, lying in bed, doing whatever they're doing, ignoring God, ignoring the Creator, ignoring everything about God. And yet you, you're sitting here this morning, those of you that know not Christ, you're in the midst of God's people and you're hearing this song, this new song. You're hearing it. You heard it. May you learn to fear God and trust in Him. What an opportunity and privilege you have this morning that countless people don't have at this very moment. Oh, how I pray that you listen as the Christians this morning speak of their God and sing of His mercy and His grace and His goodness. The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And his truth endureth to all generations. There are some who might wonder why the psalmist was inspired to choose these three attributes of God above all his other attributes. I've pondered for weeks that question. Not that any attribute of God could be inferior or lesser in excellence than the other. I hope we all are aware of that. Every attribute of God is excellent and glorious in itself. Yet the psalmist is inspired to give us only three. His goodness, his mercy, and his truth. There's a blessed truth why he does that. And that's what I want to spend the morning this morning on explaining to you so that it might help us to enhance our worship as God's people, but also for those of you who know not God, that you might, by God's grace, understand what we're saying about the goodness, mercy, and truth of God that would compel you to come to Christ and it would enhance the believer's worship of God. The answer to why the psalmist, I believe, was inspired to list these three only And that in this psalm of praise and thanksgiving, coming into his presence, entering into his gates, 
And this quartz, I believe, is found in God's revelation to Moses. One which I believe, as we'll see by the end of the service, I hope, flows throughout Scripture like a main artery in the body. Go with me once again. We've read them before, but go with me once again to Exodus chapter 33. I want you to see this and I hope and pray that it would inspire us all. Exodus chapter 33. Indulge with me this morning that I might read a little bit of Scripture. Exodus chapter 33. In verse 12, listen what the Word of God says. <clears throat> and Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, Consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, God, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. Follow Moses' words. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. He said that now twice. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. I wonder if Moses actually knew what he was asking for. And he said, I will make all my goodness. Moses said, I want to see all your glory. God says, no. I'm going to show you my good. That's important. I'm going to show you all my goodness. Pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou that canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passes by, God said, this is my glory, my goodness is my glory. Listen to the words that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now look over in Exodus chapter 34, verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God. Sounds like Psalms. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Listen to these excellencies. What's he showing Moses? Keeping mercy for thousands, giving iniquity forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth, and worshipped. Now notice what God revealed unto Moses about his glory. It was his goodness 
It was all His goodness which God chose to reveal and assure Moses of His divine presence. For though all God's attributes are glorious and worthy of our greatest praise, it is God's great benevolence. Listen to me. It is God's great benevolence, His goodness, His mercy, which attracts and entices the true believer's heart and mind in approaching God. Follow me. Why didn't God show Moses His holiness? Moses would have never attempted to approach God. Can you imagine trying to approach, if you know anything about the holiness of God, can you imagine Moses trying to approach God in His pure holiness without knowing that God is good and merciful and long-suffering? Wow! Moses would have been consumed with terror. God reveals unto Moses His goodness because that's the attribute which most attracts and entices God's people into the presence of God. This is the mercy of God. Are you listening to me? This is the mercy of God. I'm getting ahead of myself and we'll look at that next week, but you know where God had communion and fellowship with the Israelites in the Old Testament? He said, above the mercy seat, I will commune with you. Without that mercy seat, God would be seen in all His holiness and majesty and it would consume every child of God with the greatest terror and torment without the goodness and mercy and grace of God. Sinner friend, I hope you're following me because if you die without Christ, this is what you have to face. You will be consumed with terror fear. It is God's great benevolence, goodness and mercy which attracts us, draws us into the presence of God. Without which, beloved, our coming into His presence would all but consume our hearts with the greatest fear and terror. That's why the Lord, when He speaks about Worshiping God in Psalm 100, he uses his goodness, his mercy, and his truth. Without which, God would be most terrifying. Hebrews 13.31 said, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's a fearful thing. In a bad way. That's what Hebrews mean in a bad way. It's a fearful thing. You don't want to fall into the hands of the living God without goodness, mercy, Amen. and truth would set you free. You don't want to do that. You don't want to fall into the hands of God. Isaiah said, Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Speaking of God, nobody. <laughs> so why would the psalmist be inspired to record these three attributes of God? Because these three is what entices us, incites us to enter the presence of God. Oh, we do it with fear, fear and reverence, yes, as we'll see in closing. For the Lord, He is God. It is He that made us. But without the goodness and mercy and truth of God, dearly beloved, we could never enter the presence of God. Were it not for an assurance of the goodness and mercy of God, which can only be found in Christ... Beloved, any attempt to approach God shall be met with the greatest fear and terror. 
you know it's going to fill the hearts and minds and souls of the lost when they stand before God. Not just an awareness of their sins, but more than that, an awareness of the perfect holiness of God. It's going to fill their hearts with terror and torment. Why do you think in Revelations it speaks about when he comes back, the people cry out, hide us under the rocks from the face of him that sitteth on. They can't look at his face. Why did, why did God tell Moses, you can't look at my face and live? Oh, you can't, you can't take in everything that I am. I'm going to show you what my goodness is. And so that's what draws us as God's people into his presence so that we might look into the face of God. Because actually, the Bible says Christ is the express image. You see, without Christ, you don't want to look into the face of God. But with Christ, we're presented into the presence of God, the fullness of joy. You see, you see how God uses these attributes? And this whole revelation of Moses, this whole thing flows through the entire Scripture. Read Psalms. It talks always about the goodness and mercy of God. It flows throughout the entire Scriptures. This divine truth is seen, if I may, in the comparison of the prophet Isaiah's revelation or vision of God's glory and Moses' revelation of God's, all God's goodness. You remember Isaiah in chapter 6? Isaiah saw the king, the Lord, without goodness, without mercy, without truth. What do you do? He cried, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, nothing about His goodness and mercy. He's seen God's glory. And Isaiah said, I am a sinful man. Only until his lips were touched with the live coals from off the altar of God and his sins were covered and his iniquity taken away that he could hear the voice of God. Then said the voice of God. Do you see that? Yet what was Moses' response to his revelation when God showed him all his goodness? He fell on his face and he worshiped. You see the difference? Isaiah said, woe is me without the goodness and mercy. Yet Moses sees the goodness and what's it compelled him to do? Worship God. Oh, so often I think we get too pious for our own good if I can use that term, feigning a reverence for God and that somehow it's God is unapproachable. Oh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't reverence God as we'll see in a few moments. It's the goodness and mercy and truth of God that adores, adorns our fear and reverence for God. It's what makes reverencing God for the Christian profitable and pleasant in the beauty of holiness. Worship Him in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness? How is that possible? Because of the goodness and mercy of my God. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, said the psalmist in 107, four times in that chapter. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. That is what attracts and incites the hearts of God's people. It's the goodness and mercy and truth of God. Amen. 
Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For He is good. The first four verses in verse 29 of that chapter, 118. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For He is good. Why is He good? Because His mercy endureth forever. Isn't that amazing? It's these three distinct attributes that incites our hearts to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. It enables us to be glad. It enables us to sing coming into His presence. It creates in us a thankfulness unto Him. We bless His name. It's not ignoring the other attributes of God, but it's making the other attributes of God in our sight adorable and pleasant and comforting. Now, through the goodness and mercy and truth of God, we can look at His holiness and see the beauty of it. We can look at His wrath and see the justice of it. We can look at all that God is and every attribute and excellence He has through the eyes of His goodness and mercy and truth. And God is above all things most adorable and pleasant. Psalm 18.35 says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up. And I love this verse. And thy gentleness. I read this verse many times. Always confounded. God's gentleness and thy gentleness, thy benevolence, thy goodness, thy condescending to love and aid me in my weakness and infirmity. That's what gentleness means. You've condescended to come down and aid me and help me. Your benevolence, your goodness, and your mercy. These things have made me great, the psalmist said. Amazing when you look at that verse. These things have made, thy gentleness has made me great. Not of myself, but in you. Why else would David, as we sang in Psalms this morning, why else in Psalm also says 122, 127, why else would David say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go down to the house of the Lord. Psalmist speaks always about seeing the face of God and worshiping God intimately, personally. How can we do that? Because the goodness, mercy, and truth of God. Wherewith we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, which sets our hearts to serve God acceptedly. That means satisfying to God with reverence and godly fear, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. The Lord is good, his mercy everlasting, his truth to dearth to all generations. That, dearly beloved, is why the psalmist, I believe, was inspired to speak of only these three. Otherwise, no one would dare enter into his gates or his courts. No one had a reason for gladness or for singing. Because the fear of God would utterly consume us. His mercy is everlasting. I don't have time to get too deep into this this morning, but I do want to give you something for you to meditate on your own this next week in the Word of God. 
His mercy is everlasting. Do you know there's no other attribute or excellency of God more mentioned in Scripture than His mercy? This one attribute is mentioned more than any other attribute of God. And though all attributes of God are of themselves, like I've said, most glorious and worthy of our highest praise, it is this one attribute of God that God Himself said, I delight in this. God said, I delight in this. Oh, sinner friend, you better listen this morning. God said, I delight in showing you mercy. And it's the one attribute that Scripture declares distinguish him, distinguishes God from all false gods. Micah 7.18 For who is a God like unto thee? Here it is. Who is a God like unto thee? Thou pardoneth, that it pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. The one attribute. Look it up for yourself. Though they're all glorious and magnificent of themselves, no other attribute is mentioned more than mercy, and it's the one attribute that God says, I delight in exercising mercy. Doesn't that fill your heart with joy? I delight in exercising mercy. Not just one time at salvation, that's the biggest, but beloved, ever, always. You say, but preacher, I've failed, I've sinned. Oh, God delights in showing and exercising His mercy, especially amongst His own. What father does not want to forgive his children? Oh, that the sinner would stop and consider this most blessed and divine truth, that God delighteth in mercy. While judgment, the scripture says, is an act that is strange to him. Scripture calls it his strange work. Though he brings it to pass, according to Isaiah 28, 31, or 21, he'll bring it to pass. The Bible still says God, for God, it's a strange work. It's his strange act. He'd rather delight in showing mercy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? That's why Romans, Paul said, it's the goodness of God that leadeth to repentance. It leadeth to repentance. It's the goodness of God. Do you know, have you considered Romans? Paul talks about the law and how the law came in and condemned him. The law is holy and just and right. And it says good as well. Isn't it amazing? Even the law of God, even the law of God reveals God's mercy and delight in mercy because Galatians says the law of God is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So even in the law of God, We see the mercy of God because it's a schoolmaster. It condemns you. Why? So that you might come to Christ. Why are you so foolish and still yet in your sins? Why are you so arrogant and prideful? Don't you see, don't you hear from the word of God this morning how God delights in mercy? How often are you going to hear that before 
you hear it no more. How often are you going to hear about God delighting in mercy and His goodness leading to your repentance and you harden your heart up like Romans chapter 2 says. You treasure up wrath against the day of wrath. Each time you neglect and ignore the goodness of God, you harbor up, treasure up wrath under the day of wrath. You're your own worst enemy. Well, God hasn't sent me a lightning bolt from heaven. God hasn't shaken the earth beneath my feet. What must I do, Paul, to be saved? Believe in the Lord. It's the goodness of God that leadeth to repentance. For even though many are willing to debate over this text in 2 Peter, it is the goodness of God that leadeth to repentance, for God is not willing that any should perish. Oh, he's just talking about, no, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all, because of the riches of his goodness and mercy, come to repentance. Why did the psalmist record just three? Why was he inspired to limit it to God's goodness and mercy and truth? Because these three attract and incite God's people's hearts into His presence, without which, dearly beloved, none of us, none of us would ever be able to stand. Isaiah saw the presence of God and said, Woe is me. Moses saw the goodness of God and worshipped. See the difference? There's so much more we can learn from worship. And I look forward to next week looking more into this mercy which is everlasting because I believe many of us today in this day and age have little understanding of the mercy of God. You say, how can you say that, preacher? Well, because mercy is not very well exercised amongst God's people towards each other. To the merciful, thou would show yourself merciful. If we truly understood the mercy of God as we profess to, why don't we show mercy towards one another, especially as God's people? Is there anything you can do against God that God's mercy shall not forgive you? Then why is it we hold grudges? Why is it there's so many divisions and schisms? Psalm 100's, especially the last of this, His truth endureth the other. The Lord's kind of leading me into the next message after Psalm 100. Church is in a very deplorable state, not merely because of God's judgment upon her, but also because of our sin as God's people. We're in trouble. And we need, as God's people, like they did in days of old, plead and beg in prayer that God would revive His people. And you know where every revival in Scripture and in the history of God's church began? It began with the church of God repenting before their God. You know why we don't understand God's mercy? You know the evidence of that? It's because we're not showing mercy to one another. 
May God grant us much grace. And may we learn more of his mercy so that we might be ourselves merciful. Because if God delights in it, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we delight in exercising mercy? Mercy is forgiving somebody who is not forgivable, who doesn't deserve it. It's not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Mercy's different. We'll see that next week. Mercy is everlasting. His mercy is everlasting. Oh, that compels us to worship Him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, how it inspires us to come into Thy presence with singing, with hearts full of gladness. Lord, how it compels us to enter into Thy gates with thanksgiving and into Thy courts with praise that we might be thankful unto you and bless your name. For we are your people. God, that that might sink into our hearts. We are your people, the sheep of thy pasture. Lord, you're good. Your mercy endureth or is everlasting, and your truth endureth to all generations. May that inspire us to enter into your presence and worship you. Help us, dear God, we pray, as we go through this next week, to contemplate, read, meditate upon the mercy of God so that we might gather together next week in the same place as your elect, as your chosen people. And Lord, we would gather around the mercy seat, who is Christ, and commune and fellowship with our God. Lord, we love you and thank you for all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Brother, let's sing a psalm.